Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is Donald Nally, award-winning conductor of the Philadelphia-based chamber choir, The Crossing. Donald is also director of choral organizations at Northwestern University and chorus master of the Chicago Bach Project. I was privileged to be a member of Donald's choirs while I was an undergraduate student in the early to mid-90s at Westchester University. I also was able to arrange and perform as a percussionist with various ensembles that he led in the Philadelphia area. As always, whether you're listening to Donald perform or just chatting with him, it's always a riveting experience. Hi, Donald. Are you there? I am. Hey, great to, great to speak with you, and uh, thanks for taking some time to be on my podcast called Backstage at the End Harmonic. Thank you for asking me, Sean. So I start with the same question with all of my guests, and I go back to the very beginning. Could you tell us about your earliest recollection of music? Um, no, uh, because I don't know exactly which one is like the earliest. So I like, so no, the answer is no, but I'll tell you what my earliest kind of context that I remember. Um, so my parents, um, my father played piano by ear and he played a lot of boogie woogie, um, and that was in the house, but that was about the only kind of performed music in the house because otherwise there, my my father didn't read music and my mother didn't wasn't a musician and um so what was in the house was a lot of Glenn Miller and um John Philip Sousa albums um and I remember when we got our first stereo and um playing those um big LPs and um, that's what they listened to and some Prairie Como and stuff like that. And at the same time, I, I, when I was a little kid at church, um, I went to this church that was really very interesting, um, small, tiny country church out in Bedminster, Pennsylvania, but it was always had um, young pastors from that had just completed or were you know, recently out of um, Princeton Seminary, and they were really interesting, and the whole church was really liberal, and the church was full of um, artists and intellectuals that lived in Upper Buck County, and um, and they really opened a huge world to me, including music, um, because we would, this tiny little choir would do like big, big, huge Randall Thompson pieces and stuff like that, which at the time seemed enormous, you know. Um, and so that that's kind of like the combination of all of those things are the, I think, the kind of foundation of the weird trajectory that that then I call my life. So. <laughs> Excellent. Now, we've known each other for quite some time now, of course, and I remember you had mentioned you were an active instrumentalist growing up. I think you played saxophone and viola. Before saxophone and viola, did you take any formal piano lessons or voice instruction, uh, anything like that? Like, I'm just trying to put all the pieces together. Where did the voice fit into this? Like, what was first? So, yeah, I mean, when I was little, little, I sang in the school choir, and I think I sang with church children's choir, and... Um, in fourth grade, I took six months of piano lessons, but my parents 
so they couldn't afford to do both piano and saxophone, and I really, really wanted to play saxophone. So, um, so I dropped piano, uh, probably, probably the biggest mistake of my entire life, um, <laughs> and studied saxophone really seriously for all of my, um, you know, pre-college years. And I started, I even entered college as um, a saxophone major, but I didn't stay in that major very long because I had been singing really in that final year of, of being a senior in high school. Um, I'd really grabbed on to singing. I had a really strong, um, really, um, inspirational, um, choral director in that I only sang in the choir, um, in junior high and high school. I only sang in my, in in my last year, my 12th year. And this guy was great. And he really had a big influence on me. And then, um, he, that his name is Larry Bartell, and he, um, and so I started, and I sang in the lead in musicals um, then, and I just went, wow, I really like this, and I also knew I wanted to be a conductor. Something that in high school started churning in me and going, actually, it started in junior high. I remember having a disastrous um, audition to be student conductor, even when I think I was in seventh grade, um, and that was always there, and so. Um, so voice seemed like a more logical thing for me to do in in university so that I could balance that with choral conducting because that's really where I, my heart lay at the time. It actually is interesting because that instrumental background, and you're right, so viola too, um, you know, horrendous violas, but nevertheless played it for <laughs> like eight years. Um, that all informs so much of what I do today, all that instrumental stuff really, um, really has a huge influence on the way in which I make music. But, um, but yeah, I kind of went the vocal track when I got to university. Going up until the end of high school, you had aspirations, was it to be a professional saxophone performer or performer slash teacher? Um, where, where was your mind in 10th grade as far as the saxophone went? Oh, I was going to be the, like the greatest, uh, purveyor of um, French classical saxophone literature and contemporary saxophone literature. Like I was, <laughs> I was going to be great. <laughs> wow! Which is really yeah, funny when you think about it, you know, because like name uh, name all of those um, those um, saxophonists who are renowned for their um, approach to the French literature and also contemporary literature. Let's just stop for a second and I'll let you name them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. I really <laughs> love the saxophone, man. I do. And it's really funny because uh, we've done a couple of projects with Prism, the saxophone quartet, and um, I'm good friends with Tim McAllister, who is now on the faculty of Michigan, but was on the faculty of Northwestern with me. And now Tamer Sullivan, who's in Prism, is on the faculty of Northwestern with me, and I'm a good friends. And um, it's all come around, you know, in this strange way, but there was this whole, like, 25-year gap of no saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I never knew about that. So oh, yeah. I have, I'm, as you were speaking, I was writing notes, like, to follow up with things you said. And my first question was going to be, you know, oh, so your syncopation and your rhythmic drive that I've seen you conducting, that must come from all of your jazz saxophone playing, but you went so- somewhere else with your saxophone. <laughs> I did. I did. You know, I mean, I played in the jazz band. I really liked it, and I assumed at some point, like in 10th grade, that I was going to be this great um, jazz band conductor in high school, you know? I mean, literally, there was, like, that was 
I entered college probably thinking still in the back of my mind that that was a possibility. And, you know, I made the switch to voice because of conducting, but I also made the switch, quite frankly, because I had a, not a very good saxophone teacher my first year there. And it really, you know, it's funny if I think about it, if I had had like a killer saxophone my first year at college, my whole life might look completely differently. But the first several lessons I had with this person, I just went, this is not going to work. I'm not, there's no way this person's going to teach me saxophone. Um, and it's funny because then the second year that person went on sabbatical and they did get a guy that had just finished his doctorate at Indiana and he was fantastic and I loved studying with him. But the whole course of my life had already taken a complete left turn. So, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Yeah. If I like had that, if, if I think his name was Richard Crittenden, I'm trying to think sort of re- remembering this and I'm, he was great. Um, and if he had been at college my first year, we may not be having this conversation today. You said early on you, you had aspirations to be a conductor. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you not the drum major for the high school marching band? No, I was not, actually. I was the oh, No, I was the assistant conductor. There's a difference. So okay. in my high school, um, we had, uh, you know, like the drum major guy who did the field work, and then we had an assistant conductor who um, did the, like, helped with musical preparation and then conducted something on the on the big concert at the, in the springtime. Um, so there was a, a kind of different, I think you had to be, you know, I, I think to be the drum major, you had to be like spectacularly good looking and a great personality. And to be the assistant conductor, you just kind of had to be talented. So. <laughs> so. All right, I'll take cool. talented. <laughs> right. Yes. I like it. So here's another question that I asked all of my guests it might be unusual, but do you listen to music for pleasure? Almost never, um, partly because there isn't really any time for it um, and hasn't been for a long time. Uh, and when I'm listening to music, I'm usually listening to pieces that people have sent me or pieces that an assistant has said, here's something that you need to know about, get to know this um, in order to like stay on top of stuff. Um, but I don't listen to music at all. Um, I mean, I most often don't listen to music um, when I have like non-rehearsal time, um, just because there's just so much music in my life. Um, I need the silence. So, so no, um, I'm not. I'm not like I'm, you can't. You, you can't. We can't have a conversation right now about like, well, what kind of music do you listen to? Because I don't. You know. Uh, we do. I do play music at home. You know, my partner and I play music at home when we'll have like a dinner party or something like that, and it's always some sort of like um, Nina Simone or Morgana King or or something like or or Gaetano Veloso or something some some kind of like um, just interesting gritty um, music uh, lyrics and etc. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of my uh, the guests that I've had on have had similar answers to that. It's uh, mm. almost like research-based listening always. <laughs> like I have Yeah, research-based listening. Yeah, but there's a lot of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So here's another one. Outside of music, do you have any activities or passions that you do away from music? 
is there anything that's outside of music? I wasn't aware. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, n- no, I mean, you know, besides like, you know, going running or, um, you know, hiking um, on 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 the occasion that I can carve out some time to just to do that. I don't see the need. Like I don't, I don't, I don't apologize for the fact that my life is singularly focused. It's great and it's really rich and satisfying. So no. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, good. Now you're based in Chicago full time, and you're back and forth to Philly for the um, the crossing. Like, how often are you in Philly and Chicago, like percentage wise? So you know, I'm in Philly like a collective six months out of the year. Um, it. It, that's added. Those, those are days that are added up. I know this because of my taxes, actually. Um, those are days that are added up from weekends or full weeks or ten days or like right now. I'm here. I, I'm here for six weeks. I go away for three weeks. I come back for four weeks. Um, and then yeah. So when you add it all up, it, it adds up to just about six months. Um, but you know, because of my my role at Northwestern, an awful lot of that is Saturday and Sunday, you know, leaving <clears throat> leaving early on Saturday morning, starting a rehearsal at noon, having a couple of rehearsals on Saturday and Sunday, and taking the late flight back on Sunday night. Looking back at your pre-college days. <laughs> I'm old, Sean. I don't know if I remember any of that. So. <laughs> All right. Your pre-college days, was there a moment that you're like, I wanted to be a professional musician. Well, again, I don't. I, no, I don't. But because it's so, I was so like, <laughs> I have had this love, like love affair with the saxophone. You know, I would sometimes sleep with it, and I would hug it and hold it. And it's like, you know, like it's everybody has complex childhoods and. They have their own, you know, everybody has their own thing about their childhood that they carry around with them for the rest of their life. And, my, you know, mine mine was also fairly complex. <laughs> um, and the saxophone provided this, this friend um, that I turned to all the time, particularly at home, where I would just, you know, go to my room and play. Um, and I loved it. Um, so it it's not so much like, oh man, I want to be a professional musician. It was more like, this is just, this is what I do. Like I am, that's how I identify in every way. I, I'm, I, I'm, I make as much music as I can. And I play in every ensemble I can get near because that's where I feel like I'm myself. And the rest of the time I feel a little bit lost. Um, and I kind of realized it, you know, um, that that's sort of what was going on. Um, and you know, I've thought a lot about it, and I've written about it. You asked me earlier about like other stuff I do. I do do a lot of writing, and I do enjoy writing a lot. So, so I've written a lot about this, about like you know the like sort of music that somehow irons out the chaos, and you know, makes a gap between the conscious and the subconscious, and um, and I think that's a very real experience for me, and a visceral one um, in my pre-college days. So I wouldn't say there was this moment when I like, well, I don't know, I want to be a professional musician. And if you and if you at all said that I was going to wind up doing like what I'm doing now, or even like working at you know a major international opera company, I would have gone like, that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> You're you know just that's silly. Um, 
And, you know, I have a, a degree in voice and music education from CCM. Um, and there was, you know, I come from a background where that was what what I was going to do, you know, was be a teacher. So I, I don't think that, no, I don't think there was a kind of like light bulb that went, yeah, you're going to be a pro. Okay, great. So, Which I should well, also clarify, I should also clarify that I consider many music educators to be like, total pros like i i, I don't want to there's not a there's not a line between those two things you know some of the best musicians and artists i know teach and they teach in all kinds of situations children's choirs high schools colleges whatever you know exactly yep yeah it, it's always interesting talking to the different folks i've had on because some people are like you know on august 5th 1961 i remember you know and they, they're like that's when i wanted to whatever and then about half of them are what you are. It's like it's I've already done it. I can't hurt myself doing something else, and I am a musician. I didn't become one type of thing. So it's always interesting to hear people's um, mm. recollections of their upbringing and how how they became and continued with music. So that was a great answer. Yeah, right. I mean, you've worked with me. I mean, you know, you've sung with me and you played for me and with me, and I think you you know you can see like that. That's like when when we start doing that. That's when I become me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah, where I. I love that answer. Yeah. yeah. That was great. Yeah, I love that one thing you said there about um, you feel most like yourself when you're performing, and I think a lot of a lot of us musicians are that way. So. Yeah, and the other thing about it is, and I think you relate to this very well from what I know about you as a musician, because it's so fluid in and out of actually doing it. Um, that it isn't performing for me. I don't feel. I never feel like I'm performing. I feel like I open the doors and so that people can so that people can share with me kind of what's going on with me right now. Um, I never look at it like I don't look at it, and I've like dispensed with most of the things in my life that that would give the feeling that it is a big performance, such as you know tuxedos and. Um, the, a specific idea about the way in which a choir acts and all that kind of stuff. And I've dispensed with a lot of that stuff because it just isn't important to me. Have you had like a pinch me or a pinch yourself moment where you're like, wow, from my humble upbringings in rural Pennsylvania, I can't believe that I'm standing here right now doing this. So now that's the opposite answer because that happens to me daily and and there are many standout moments um that you know I I uh, going way back when I was at CCM I I was in a choir I was in the choir there that sang um, went to New Orleans and joined a bunch of other choirs and sang Mises Lemons with Robert Shaw. And that was the first time I had worked with Shaw. And it wound up late, later in my life that I worked much more intimately with him. But um, there was, yes, there, there, um, you know, that was a moment where I went, wow, I really want to do that. Um, you know, I thought I did, but that's definitely that. And, and also, what am I doing here? You know, what is, what, what am I doing here in New Orleans, you know, singing this piece with the Atlanta Symphony? Um, there, there was a moment when I became chorus master at Spoleto, and I was standing in the back of the theater, and I remember this very specifically. It was a dress rehearsal for Meisterzinger, and they were playing the overture, and I just went, I can't believe I'm in another country at a major festival being the chorus master for, you know, one of the great works of the of the Western world, you know. Um, there was, when I was at Westminster, um, 
you know, being on stage um, with uh, Bernstein conducting his Mahler II, that was the Deutsche, the second Deutsche Grammophon recording, and I was the manager for the choir because that was my graduate assistantship, and just like watching him work and going, oh my God, I am taking so much information in right now, you know. But then there's all sorts of, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of other things. The Crossing, which is my choir here in Philadelphia has, we just finished this project called Seven Responses, and it was these, set, I invited seven composers to write contemporary responses to Buxtehude's um, Cantata Member Jesu Nostri. I, I had that experience last weekend. I mean, I, I stood there going, I can't believe that David T. Little and Luz Bradlin and Anna Thorfotsdottir and Caroline Shaw and et cetera, et cetera, have written these pieces of music that, that my little choir is... Um, is doing, you know, we're talking at Carnegie Hall right now about something. We've been, you know, like doing Sela, John, the world premiere of John Luther Adams Sela in the in the waiting pool outside of, on the Hearst Plaza at Lincoln Center as part of mostly Mozart. You know, I'm standing there going like, what am I doing standing here in New York with you know thousands of people around in this environmental piece, and they came and asked us to do this. So, I. I really, you know, every day is a kind of complete miracle to me based on the question that you, or in reference to the question that you just asked. Is is there a time when I pinch myself from and go, God, from my humble beginnings, and there, there, it happens constantly. I'm, I'm a very, very grateful person. Fantastic. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful, too, to have you as a friend and uh, a former teacher and mentor, and uh, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Thanks for taking time to um, talk to me on my little podcast here, mm-hmm. and I hope, to, uh, I hope to get together with you soon and uh, catch up on old times. I would love that. I would love that. Okay. Thanks a lot, Donald. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Today's soundtrack featured excerpts from The Crossing and the Prism Saxophone Quartet. To find out more about Donald Nally and the Crossing Choir, please visit them online at crossingchoir.com.